Hey everybody, welcome back to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. And Ryan Parker. A couple dudes with PhDs in theology who watch TV. Feels like we need to say uh, for this round, a couple white dudes. A couple white dudes who have decided to talk about the show Luke Cage, which is a Marvel comic turned Netflix show. And this is the first season. There are 13 episodes, and we are going to do two episodes a week. Although, Ryan, I will say it's tough because, like, I'm this is a show I'm tempted to binge. As soon as episode two was over and I knew we had to do this podcast, I was like, bad choice. Yeah, because I wanted to go right into episode three. Yeah, it's binge-worthy. I mean, you, you're really left hanging after the first two episodes, and we have not watched ahead, so we don't know what's happening. Yeah. And there were some twists and turns, but um, before we get into the... And, and let's just say again, this is a show that, based on source material that neither of us are very familiar with, and uh, so it's really a show, and the characters in the show are, are something that we're taking at face value. And, okay, so and it's going to be full of spoilers. So if you're not watching along, or if you haven't wa- binged it yet, then you know just just fair warning. Well, and I want to go right into that that thing. Actually, I want okay. to talk about that. The fact that we're unfamiliar with Luke Cage yeah. is just the tip of the iceberg for me because um, you know I'm not. It, it is a very black show. It is the, the music, which I, I think the musical score is incredible. And I just starting absolutely... off with Raphael Sadiq and one of those oh early my scenes. Gosh, no kidding. I mean, yeah. it's like um, Ali Shahid Muhammad, who's part of a tribe called Quest, is running the sh- the score. Yeah, um, and it's like it's so bluesy, jazzy, with some hip hop in it too. I love it. I absolutely love. Like I thought. I would like to like stream the score of this show on on Spotify while, while you're working. But um, there's it. It is the comic. I know enough about it to know that the comic was created in the black exploitation era, and that it was it was kind of a play for that market. Um, which, of course, black exploitation movies and comics were in and of themselves political. You know, at the time, sure. Um, when when it came out in 1972, yeah. Um, so, and and you know, I'm familiar with. It's just so rife with black culture. Not only that it's set in Harlem, but um, you know, the poets who are quoted, uh, the music, the NBA is always in the background. It pops. Actually, up. that's not an NBA. That is NBA 2K. Uh, basketball game, the greatest, one of the greatest sports video games ever made. Oh, is that right? I play it on a daily basis. Well, there you go. And, yeah. and um, you know, the, the books lying around in Luke Cage's apartment, The Invisible Man, and, and other books that are like, you know, in the canon of black intellectualism in the United States in yeah. US history. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think too it's a you know when I say is this you know it's also you look for uh representation in um in series like this because Iron Fist which the trailer just released yesterday or kind of a first look at 
Iron Fist, which is another Marvel series that's coming out. They cast a white actor to play a non-white character, you know, uh, to the disappointment of many fans. But you look at something like Luke Cage, not only is it true to the character, it's true to that world, right? It is the, it's a black show uh, with maybe one, like one semi-important white character. Like not even an important white character so far in the first two episodes. No, I mean the closest to a white character is Shades, um, but uh, he's he's also you know he's an ethnic character as well. I mean we're all ethnic, right? Even those of us who are white or ethnic, and I think that's one of the things that this peels off. You know, one of the things you can't help but seeing is like um, Cottonmouth, who is the villain of the show. But yeah. but also there's there's a throwback to to so many mafia movies or The Sopranos where something you know somebody went well we're we're gonna give spoilers because we assume people have watched the first two episodes sure. but when Pop when Pop gets killed in the crossfire um, when that when the when the bad guys are trying to get Chico and then afterwards he turns to Shades and he says um, there's supposed to be rules yeah you know and. So there out of the streets. Yeah, there is some commonality here with um like some traditional mafia type movies. So we're going to see some some genre crossover I think for sure, but um it is a deeply political show. And so I think what you and I wanted to do to start off was just basically to throw ourselves on the mercy of the court and be like <laughs> Who are we? Who who are we? A couple white guys, and let's be honest, a couple like really white guys. I mean, culturally speaking, uh, I, I'm I'm a I'm a very white person, and to be diving in, and so I think we want to just say we're not trying to talk about this show authoritatively. We're trying to experience it as viewers, right? And, sure, and I think just uh, as we've always done, just try to highlight what we think we're. You know what we we hope we're somewhat good at, which are the religious and theological and spiritual uh, uh, undertones to the shows that we talk about. Which you've already and, and just you and I talking about this kind of off air have already pointed out some of those. Uh, but also recognizing the inescapable political implications of the show too, which should go hand in hand with that analysis uh, as well. Yeah, I so. And, and and I think we've you've already pointed out, and we'll talk about this maybe at the end of, of this episode of this recording. We know a lot of people who uh, from diverse backgrounds who are watching this show, and we're going to be reaching out to them um, to to join the conversation too. I think we've already got two or three guests, you know, that we'd like to have on in the next uh, you know three or four weeks. So uh, we want to try to bring in as many perspectives as we can on what seems to be a really popular show right now. Yeah. So if we just to summarize the plot, I mean, we don't one thing that I think is interesting and I really appreciate is we don't know the backstory of Luke Cage. I'm sure a lot of comic book fans do, but it's it's not revealed in the show. And I, I'm sure it will be as episodes go on. So we don't know how we don't even really know exactly what his superpowers are. But we definitely don't know how he got them. All we really know is that he's really strong and he can stop bullets. And that he, um, he's he been in prison, or at least in jail, but I think in prison. And he has a couple flashback moments to that. Um, that he's not from Harlem, 
but he's from South Carolina. Um, and he's on the lam. He's trying to lay low. So he takes all his payments in cash because he doesn't want, you know, anybody getting his social security number and tracking where he is. So that's, that's about all we know of him. And he's kind of blending in, in, in Harlem. Um, and we know that he's, as, as I texted you before, I, I think he's a, a more, he's like so many superheroes. He's a morally ambivalent character it, it's it's the thing that's so boring about superman right is that superman as a superhero is not morally ambivalent he's always out for the good yeah but, but like so many other superheroes luke cage doesn't really want to use his superpowers he just wants to be left alone and that's you know that is like so many other superheroes and yet he's got people like pop who are trying to, to say no you know basically to, to whom much is given, much is expected, yeah. and you need to use your powers for good. Yeah, kind of clean up the streets, so to speak. Yeah, and so we don't... What's interesting, though, is that his... By the end of the second episode, it, he's turned a corner, and that's come, as it often does with superheroes, out of tragedy with Pop's murder. Pop and, and, and Chico's... Well, it looks like Chico's taken out on a stretcher with a oxygen mask on his face, so it looks like he's still clinging to life yeah um but yeah. but it's but but how does he end the second episode he's being held up with a gun at his head and he's basically saying here we are standing in front of a building named after one of the most famous people of our race and you know he's basically being driven not by any kind of religious sensibility and not by the moral code that seems to be driving him forward and is making him turn this corner to use his powers for good is honestly the power of black history and black intellectuals and and black culture yeah and black culture yeah but the, but good black culture right i mean it's not it's not he's not vindictive he's he's being driven he's extremely well read like um yeah. he's being driven by the best ideas and the uh the best um the most noble virtuous aspects of African American history that's what's pulling him like into the public square to do something good it's, for his community. You know, it's really interesting this is a whole other episode that we could get into this but it's interesting that it releases just uh, this series releases just a week before the birth of a nation. Which yeah. Yeah. is another kind of, you know, there's this moment where Nat Turner's asking, do I use force for the good of my people, right? Or the better of my people. Um, right. And that's a, that's a pass that, that Luke Cage could look back to. Um, the, uh, on the other side of that, in, in terms of plot, is another part of the community where you have Councilwoman... Uh, Mariah Dillard, mm-hmm. uh, Alfrey Woodard, uh, and her cousin, who is Cottonmouth, although we shouldn't call him that, right? Right. Uh, he, Cornell, he wouldn't like Mr. it. Mr. Cornell Stokes. Yeah. Who are related. Uh, cousins. Cousins, but they're also tied together by business. And so he is an up-and-coming businessman in Harlem, and obviously she is a councilwoman looking to improve the community uh, with some new... Uh, initiatives and some new uh, buildings and services. And she's kind of gotten in bed with him, so to speak, by taking some of his money uh, in order to fund these and, 
or she's actually given campaign money to him to grow his business, and now yeah. she's she's requiring a payback. Um, and so there's some tension there in the first two episodes. Yeah, um, you know, one of the of, things that's kind of where we are. That's the that's right. the larger kind of economic and political reality that Luke Cage is is finding himself uh, drug into. Yeah, and one of the things you notice about, like, when you talk about kind of what's the moral gravitational center of the show, in the first two episodes is Pop. It's clearly Pop. Yep. You know, Pop is the one who uh, came back from doing 10 years in prison after being a thug in Harlem, and he sets up a barbershop that he calls Switzerland. And you think, well, this is going to be a set piece in the whole you think it'll be a set piece through the whole 13 episodes, of course, right? I mean, it's a perfect set piece with this kind of this this uh, guru, oracle kind of figure, um, patriarch. And then, but he's Gone. killed in the second episode. And uh. it's like the, the moral rug is pulled out from under the show after the second episode, which I think is really fascinating because of course he knew everybody he knew cottonmouth he knew the uh, history too the backstory yeah he knew um um misty the detective who oh, is kind, kind of a love interest and we we get a little glimpse into the fact that she has some a little bit of special powers like she can maybe yeah maybe close her eyes and and reconstruct a crime scene in her mind um so uh, you know, I I think it really it's a kind of a brilliant move, but also it must be scary as a showrunner to like have the have the moral center of your show be killed off in episode two. Yeah, and you wonder is Luke going to step into that? That's you know that's what we don't that's what we don't know. I did want to I did want to mention too that there's so much Christian symbolism in this show and you know in some ways you could say it's just because um African American culture is so deeply tied to the black church and um stuff like that but man everything from Cottonmouth quoting bible verses and Luke quoting bible verses back at him you know yeah. to um when when one character is beaten to death and then left out on the street there's uh there's a cross it, the way that the way the camera is directed the, there's a cross that's almost like it's his tombstone oh, right over his head a white yeah, cross in, and he's left him in front of a church yeah that's mount olivet church yeah um and so i really think i love this i love i love how um literate so many of the characters are, and obviously the showrunner is in biblical references, theological references. Um, I think that really always adds such a fascinating layer to a show when they do something like this. And well, I, I just noticed it throughout those first two episodes. It made me, you know, there's so many um, kind of allusions to black exploitation films and films like gangster films of the 70s and TV series like. With the music and the camera movement and the editing, and you know, I, I would love to have someone on who is a historian of that genre and that time who knows more about more of those of that content, films and TV series. Was was it uh, was it untethered from theology in the church? Um, what at what point did that aspect of black culture 
reach into those shows mm-hmm. um, as part of the experience. You know, the easy thing to go to, obviously, is Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Right. Um, with Sam Jackson's character, the kind of Bible-quoting gangster, mm-hmm. becoming this really cool thing that feels like it shows up more in a variety of films after that. In the in the little back and forth that we get between Luke and Cottonmouth, it, it's it's yet another example, a cultural example, pointing out the fact that the Bible can basically be used for either for for whichever perspective you want, because Cottonmouth is quoting the Bible and basically says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, like. I'm Old Testament justice. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Pop says, Pop says, what about Jesus? Pop says, Pop says, what about turn the other cheek? You know, what about Jesus? And Cottonmouth is like. He says, Jesus saves. I don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's uh, not my job. And, and you know, Mariah is is also pressing. She's, she's such a morally conflicted character because she's really pushing on Cottonmouth to, um, you know, why do you want this gangster life? Why do you want to be living like this? Um, and he's like, it's all about the money. That's my legacy. My legacy is going to be the money. And she says, what our people need to do is we, we basically need to have have a legacy of ideas and politics. We need to change people's lives. And he's like, all we need to do is get as much money as we can because... Like- but what's I'm, interesting? That's what I'm gonna. That's what I. That my legacy is gonna be money. I mean, he's probably learned from watching the businessmen around him, like just watch the rich white people. Yeah, they're doing the same thing, right? They're if you want to use her fears, they're gangsters too, right? You like not to get uh, too contemporary, but I mean, Donald Trump's nothing but a thug, like. He's a gangster. And, and like kind of a mashup between Cottonmouth um, and Mariah, Trump is also happily mixing real estate development and politics. <laughs> you know, what, and like, yes, that's why that's why Mariah and Cottonmouth are in trouble, because Mariah took money um, from her reelection campaign and used it to help Cottonmouth build his Harlem Paradise club and now she needs to get that money back in the account, you know, before she has to do her FEC filing. It's really, you know, it's it's very contemporary and I yeah, we do even see it playing out in in the election. I'm I'm wondering if if there's a way to say this to convey um and I probably should have written down exactly what it is I'm what I'm wanting to say here. So it's playing with two characters. Let's let let's just call them characters that are used in in the real world politics, um, which is the hooded black man, and or the black man in a hoodie, which the Guardian picked up on um, as as Luke Cage being the bulletproof uh, black man in a hoodie that we that we want and need. And the other, I think, is less directly spoken, but something that I think white people fear, which is the wealthy, powerful black businessman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if fear is the right word, but it's 
it, it's something that if you look at the history of politics and economics, especially in the South where I'm from, even today, there are practices put in place and, and laws put in place and zoning and elections are conducted in ways that work to keep that work to keep black people away from power and control and money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And here is the villain of the show so far, quote unquote villain, is not a super powered villain, not an alien creature. Right. That has invaded Earth, but a rich and powerful black guy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that resonates with you or if that is something that you're seeing in the show or if that makes any sense at all. But it's just something that that tension between those two figures that are part of our contemporary political discourse that in our media cycles and our, much yeah. of our pop culture that. It's, I think it's something to watch going forward. Well, and, and I think an un, another underlying, you know, it, it, there's, there's a gentrification of Harlem going on. And, and one, in the show, I mean, and, and one criticism of Cottonmouth can be, look, uh, you know, you've achieved success. You, you've already hit on this a little bit, but you've achieved success and all you've done is mimic the white man. Like, now you dress in business suits like a white guy. You built a killer club like a white guy. You're acting like you're a mafia boss like a white guy. And there's there's a little, you know, um, Cottonmouth and his, his cousin Mariah have a little back and forth at one point in which they talk about Harlem. And the big question is, should Harlem, and you know, because she, she's trying to like, she's standing and doing a news stand up in front of a real estate development. And she's basically part of the gentrification of Harlem and the, but then the question becomes, is, is Harlem, should we keep Harlem what it is because it turned out people like us and it's our place and we don't have many places in the world. Like mm-hmm. we don't have many places that we can say is truly an African-American space mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's ours and we control it and rule it and we culturally, you know, dictate what it's all about or um, should we gentrify it because you know what's coming next to Harlem if they gentrify it is the hipsters with the wax mustaches and uh huh. and uh gearless bikes yeah and and the microbreweries you know that's what's coming next and i think it's interesting like that 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 they've even woven that into the show because that's another tension that we're going to see and in some ways i kind of think the cottonmouth might say, I don't really care whose money I get, you know? Yeah. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. It's all green. It's all green. Exactly. Yeah. Well, like you say, I mean, it's a fascinating show. I'm really glad we're doing it. Um, and we're going to invite some other people on here because it's just a little bit insulting to have, you know, two lily white guys talking about this very black show. Um, and so, yeah, I think you know we're going to bring some other voices into this conversation. Yeah, I, and again, I think it's all, not only is it a, is it rich with all these things that we've been just trying to point out. Not even I, I wouldn't even say that we're have begun to kind of scratch the surface of their implications, but just hopefully, uh, you know, bringing attention to some some things um, is that it's also just a it's so well done. 
like as part of the Marvel universe, it's one of the better shows out there. And you were asking like, Oh, I wonder why, why people watch this. You know, for me, I think I, I watch everything that's in the Marvel universe, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it's by far been one of the, one of the better things so far. Jessica Jones is really good, which is where most people might've first met Luke Cage. Right. But it's beautifully shot. The music's great. And I think the whole sh- the whole show's worth it for that one scene where he tries that guy tries to punch Luke Cage and his arm breaks. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> I could have gone so many ways, and they landed on that. Uh, I was like, I'm in. I'm totally in. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. So now every episode, I'm like, the, the, you know, the fanboy in me is like, give me just one good fight scene. <laughs> well, I think we're gonna get lots of that. Yeah. But okay. you know, I was gonna say one other thing when it comes to. Uh, it's a minor thing, but I really appreciate about how they've made this show. If you look back to the gun battles in both episodes one and two, and and I'm a you know I'm a gun owner and I hear guns get shot a lot, especially this time of year. That is the most realistic sounding gun shots that I've heard. Really? In the show. Yep. Huh. Interesting. Yep. It really is. It's it's um. It, so, anyways, I I would. I encourage people to listen to that. It's, it's, well, it's a, fa- it's a fascinating, it, it, I just want, when I, when I saw it happen like that and I thought of, and I thought, boy, that is like, these guys are not, they're not trying to romanticize this or overly dramatize this. Uh, it's, it, it, it occurred to me when that shootout in the, um, at the, in the episode one in the, in the junkyard, in the car junkyard. Yeah. So, Anyway, well, well, and, uh, well, let's send off, you know, hopefully next week. I mean, next week we'll be back with episodes three and four and hopefully a guest. And, you know, I think we should we should sign off with the tagline of keep Marvel black. There you go. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. Thanks for uh, and thanks for listening to Kill, Killer Serials and watching Luke Cage. And uh, we'll be back next week, next week. to do thanks. episodes three and four. Take my advice, brother. You should be out there helping people, like them other fellas downtown. Reaper used to say the same thing. Yeah, well, she was right. Oh, fuck you, can't even sing. Yeah, just sing something, it's music. Ooh, baby, I like it, boy. And now you hard on zero. <laughs> I'm just getting started. Ch- ch-